world, welcome along to the Property Academy podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Stephen Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And it's show. We've got another case study Sunday and we are so pleased to be joined down the line by Mike from Wanaka. Mike, welcome to the show. G'day guys, thanks for having me. And Mike, I'm so pleased to have you on because you've been listening to the show for a while, but you've been investing for, let's call it about 16 years now. And you're sitting there at 41 today. You've got your own home and three investment properties. And there'll be a lot of people listening to the show who want to get into that same position as you. Entering your 40s, owning four properties is really good going, mate. Yeah, thanks. When I was reflecting a bit on the journey, a lot of people say I'm lucky and what have you. But when you break it down, you make your own luck. And, you know, just been in the right position at the right time. And, and, and we took some risks. And, yeah, looking back, it's been some highs and lows and, and some cool things and some interesting things, but I think I've been better for it and uh, yeah, pretty excited about what we're going to do going forward. So how'd you get started? You started when you were 23. What makes a 23-year-old want to start investing in property? I don't think actually give a bit of kudos to my parents. When we were young, we moved a lot. Dad was a, a builder, handyman. So I don't know if he had itchy feet or what the go was, but he always just wanted to you know, relocate, but, or not relocate in terms of city, but relocate house, get something, do it up do something else. So I always remember that excitement of moving into a different house and the excitement of going into it, seeing what was different and, and moving. And I really enjoyed that process. So I remember as early as I could think, I was like, oh, yeah, I really want to get into that and have a crack. So, you know, it wasn't until I was 23, I started saving after university, I uh, had my first profit job. And I was thinking, ah, oh, the natural thought process was I need 50, 60, $70,000 to buy a house. And, you know, it wasn't until a real estate agent family friend came to us and they said, hey, look, this house, a clients of ours, unfortunately, the couple are divorced and yes. they need a quick sale. <laughs> you're such uh, a terrible person no, that you're celebrating. opportunity. You're and celebrating. Two new happy families come out of a divorce, mate. You're yes, celebrating yes, the, death of, <laughs> yeah. the death of this lovely marriage. So come back to you, Mike. Yeah, so what happened is my sister, she wanted to have a crack at this as well. So we decided to go halves in this. Yeah, it all happened really quickly. And then we met up with the bank and the bank were like, no, you got more than enough deposit. Now I had $6,000 and my sister had matched it. So we had $12,000. The purchase price was $177,000. And it happened so quickly, you know, it was two or three days. It was all done, dusted. And we owned the house within a month we took over. So it was actually a really easy process. And if I just maybe seek to understand a bit more and understood the process, I probably could have, you know, acted on it sooner. So yeah, so then that's what, and we were into it. We got tenants, and then away we went. Those were the good old days when you could borrow using a 6.7% deposit. Which bank did you use? ANZ. ANZ, yeah, pretty much anyone was doing that. 95% or uh, loans at that stage. For for an investment property in Invercargill as well. There must be something in the Invercargill water, because recently there have been a number of investors come on Case Study Sunday who either live or have grown up in Invercargill. Maybe we've just got a high demographic of listeners there. We'll just start advertising in Invercargill <laughs> more. Okay, so you purchased that, but what was the next step after that? How do you go from buying your first investment property at 23 to buying a couple more over the next decade and a half? Yeah, so it's quite interesting. So, you know, I, I was in Christchurch. I'm born and bred in Invercargill, so that's why we had the affiliation there. Uh, so I was in Christchurch. I had a really good sales job and I was meeting great people and everything else. And met this good fellow out there, still a good mate. And he's like, hey, I want to get into the property market too. So I was like, okay, cool. Let's look for something. Now, again, it sounds like I'm <laughs> getting all these deals just by word of mouth. But his dad heard of a family where the grandfather had passed away. He lived there his entire life. And the, the family just wanted a real quick sale estate. So they came to us and said, look, don't want to go to market. You can buy this house. It was in Upper Rickerton. 
and it was for the grand old price of $260,000, which, you know, in Christchurch in this day and age, you think, wow, how's that possible? Again, it happened really quickly. Me and my friend bought it, we moved in, and we lived in it together for four years. And that four years, we renovated it really heavily. So it was original. I think he built it himself and lived in it his whole life. Single man passed away when he was 80, 85 or something. So yeah, we spent the next four years just renovating it. Luckily, the business partner's dad was a joiner. So bless him. He was keen to get his son a you know, leg up as well. So he was just helping us. New kitchens, new bathrooms, putting deck on the outside. You know, we did all the painting. We did a lot of the work ourselves. And and then the earthquakes happened. And then obviously, you know, everything changed from there. So the price skyrocketed. We ended up selling that one for $420,000. Wow. We it for five years. So again, a lot of people say luck, but then, you know, we took the opportunity, we took the risk and, you know, we were in it to win it. And selling it for four twenty when you'd purchased it for two sixty, yeah, you'd done some work on it, you'd renovated it, you'd probably spent a little bit of money, but it's an increase of one hundred and sixty thousand dollars in five years. I mean, that's the equivalent of saving about thirty two grand a year. And who's doing that? Yeah, so it was back in the early days of we were both working at the same outfit, and what we weren't earning great money because we we're just starting off our professional careers. So. Yeah, to save that kind of money would take us, yeah, like you said, a ridiculous amount of time. So we pulled a lot of the resources that we had between ourselves. We did a lot of contra deals, uh, just in the industry we were working with, we could. So a lot of builders and plumbers and sparkies and everything else all got paid in, in beer, which was quite easy to do. So yeah, and then we just worked hard and, and we grew it. But, you know, he got a partner, then he, he wanted to go out and do his own thing. I wanted to get my house on my own. So I just got to a point where, you know, amicably, we just said, right, cool, ready to go. Let's split up. But it's been quite interesting because, you know, listening to your podcasts daily with my sister and with uh, this business partner, never once did an agreement or anything like that. Luckily, it worked out both of them perfectly fine and happy. But yeah, hindsight, maybe something should have been done legally to uh, tie everything up. And you ended up next purchase was in Pegasus. Is that right? No. So when we sold that one, I went out on my own and bought a place in Hoon Hay. Now, that was very interesting. Now, I'm a confident guy. I've uh, never been to an auction before. So I went along to the auction, and I got overruled. It was in the front yard of the house, and there was about 60, 70 people there. I can't remember. It was, I felt like 100, probably 10,000. So I'm sitting there. I've never been at an auction before, and I'm throwing my fingers out. I'm like, yeah, this is cool. I'm adding this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I broke the cardinal rule. I started you know, bidding with emotion. The bank told me 400K. That's your limit. I was like, yep, sweet. That makes sense. Cool. So bidding away. I think I went 398 and then the other guy I was bidding went 400. Oh. And I remember turning to my partner and I'm like, oh, I'm sure his limit's 400. I'll just go one more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what you do? You know, you're in the motion. And then, like they always tell you, don't get the emotional burden. So I was like, okay, sweet. I'll throw one more out there. But I think I took a thousand bucks or something. And he's like, yeah. He's like, one, two. And he's about to do three. And then the other guy comes in and he did, and he did 402. Oh, and I said, I turned to my partner and I said, I bet you he's just doing that because that's his limit. (laughs) So I was like, (laughs) I'll go one more. I'll go one more. (laughs) So I went one more. I think it was, I'm trying to remember the numbers. It was something like 403, 500 is what my final one was. One, two, three, bang. Yep, sweet. Got it. Oh, happy days. Awesome. It was a Saturday. So couldn't pay the deposit. And the lady was like, that's fine. Just pay on Monday. It's too late now. (laughs) We've we've, we've sent everyone home. And I was thinking, oh, $3,500, that's sweet. I know the bank said $400,000 is your max, but I'm like, surely that can make it work. 
So I remember it was cut week at Christchurch and my job, I had to host cut day on Tuesday. So I rang the bank on Monday. I said, hey, look, I went a little bit over. I got it for 403, 500. And this is the days, and you guys talk about, and I remember, is this is when you, you could have great relationships with your bank manager. Yeah. Like I remember my one, I used to go have beers with them, socialize with them. They ring me, talk about the week and, and you just create that rapport. You know, he rings me, I tell him, and he's like, oh yeah, okay, Mike, shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, I'll get back to you in a minute. You know, I'm at Cup Day, Annington Raceway on and the there, Tuesday. There's terrible phone reception there as well. Terrible phone reception. Yeah, I'm probably 10 or 12 beers deep. He rings me up and he's like, hey, look, Mike, we've got a problem. I said, what's up? And he said, nah, the bank aren't going to do it. I'm like, what? It's like $3,500. Surely that's not a big deal. And he goes, I told you you're a maxed out. And I said, there's, there's just no leeway. And I said, oh, look, there's got to be a solution. He's like, and I don't know the bank, how they work it out, but you guys probably know better, is they said you need 7K cash yeah. to make it work. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, oh, and I've, and I've tapped out, I've used everything, I've, I've put the whole deposit in from the sale of the previous house. So <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm like, oh, well, can't do much today. I'll just continue having a good day. I'll drink yeah, as much yeah. free booze and free, eat as much free food as I can because I'm not eating or drinking for the next three years. Pretty much. Sunday morning, I wake up and it hits me and I'm like, oh, I've got to get onto this. Luckily, my partner, I talked to my life partner, is now my fiance and we've got two kids, so it worked out well. But we're in our early days of courting and I um, had no other avenue. So I just said, hey, look, it's real niggly. Um, can you go to the bank and get a $7,000 personal loan? <laughs> How soon into this relationship were you? Oh, I reckon it's less than six months. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's early days. And she's a trooper and like to think she trusted my integrity and everything else. So she went off to her bank. She got a 7K loan, gave it to me. I gave it to the bank. And then I had to give it to them, as you know, I couldn't tell them it was a loan because yes. then it, you got to pay that back and everything. Yes. So I just said, oh, look, got some inheritance or whatever, whatever. So, yeah. We tried, we tried this, to, is, this is an Ed McKnight special. He's taking notes. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I should have been telling people what, what, what not to do. But that one got a lot over the line, obviously. And yeah, that got settled. And yeah, we moved into that one. Again, kind of doing like the bar strategy, but without tainting them, just trying to create value in them, grow capital and equity in them to then potentially sell and then just keep building up with the hope of getting more in the background. Were you living in the properties when you were doing the renovations most of the time, Correct. by the sounds of it? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we'll there on for 403. I can't remember how many years we spent in that. Would have been three or four years as well. Not as much needed for that place. That was a real weird layout. The kitchen was way out the back of the house and the bedroom was at the front in front of the lounge. So what I did is flip that around. Then we went to sell in the peak of the Christchurch market. So exciting times, getting numbers, big numbers thrown around, getting excited. Again, made some mistakes, went to sell it, got an offer of 490k and that was awesome. I was like, wow, I bought this house for 400, probably spent 20k on it. Yeah, selling 490, happy days. Got stubborn. The buyer was like, hey, look, we've had a builder's report come through and we've just found a couple of these things. Being a salesman, I didn't want to do the things in hindsight, you know, just should have just done them. Just saying, no, I just want to make as much money as I can. Hey, they're not bad things. You can fix them. Take the sale. Work it out. Anyway, he turned up saying, no, I don't want it. And he pulled the offer. And I thought, that's fine. I'll just go back to the market. We'll just get another offer. Anyway, I don't know what happened. Whether, yeah, I was on too long. I got, that got tarnished by that. Long story short, ended up selling for 468. 
Oh, a bit of a cut. And yeah. what were the things? Do you remember what the items were that you could have done? Oh, Andrew, get this. This is what I still kick myself about. So they used decking timber in the roof, and the, the building inspector noticed that. And he's like, oh, look, there's not the right purlings wood in the roof. And the guy's like, oh, hey, look, can you just change those? That was one of the things. And the other one was there was a moisture problem in the bathroom. And I was like, oh, yeah, look, sweet. It's not that bad. You can't see anything there. Anyway, long story short, I got my buddy and it was a roofer and it took him all of an hour and he got, again, got paid with a 12 pack of beers. And then my brother was a builder. So he came around, he took some things out, saw a bit of a leak. We fixed it up. All it would have cost me, you know, 50 to $100. And I lost 490 to 468 because I was a stubborn bugger thinking I knew better and was trying to get the most money I could out of the deal. Yeah. So you, you saved $100, but you lost 22 grand. Yeah, exactly. Not yeah, to rub it yeah. in, Mike. Sorry. Oh, no, no, don't worry. I still lose sleep about that one. And, I'm, and it, but again, it's it's learning from mistakes, and 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 you got to go through it to, to understand it. But yeah, you you kick yourself sometimes and what you should have done and how you should have played it out. But it's all part of developing and growing. So you just take I've taken on the chin. I've moved on. And the thing I'm interested in digging into now, Mike, is you did a lot of renovations. The last three properties we've talked about were all properties you moved in to renovate, and then either held on to or sold. But more recently, you've changed tack. Yeah, so what happened is I, I went into business, owned a couple of bars in Christchurch, which means we moved to Pegasus, which is a new build home, which didn't have to touch. That didn't work out, so we sold that up, and the money we made was quite good. So I took a year off. I didn't really know what I wanted to do next, and the dream was always we love Wanaka, we wanted to be here. So again, had a good relationship with the bank manager. I said, look, I'm not working but I found some land. I want to buy it. And they're like, yep, cool. You've got heaps of cash. Pretty much buy that land mortgage free. Let's go. Let's buy it. So that was good. We did that. And then again, just asking the question, like at that time, like I said, it wasn't working. We had our first child by then. And my partner was back at work full time. I just asked a question. I said, hey, look, how long till I can build on this property? And lovely lady Anz was awesome. She's like, well, actually, Mike, you can go now if you want to. Should we do it? I'm not working. I want to take some time off. It's going to be a burden. But I think I just came back to that old adage of, you know, if you get a good opportunity, just do it and work it out. So we we're just like, let's go, let's let's roll with it. So yeah, we built in Wanaka and that was great. We moved back to Invercargill because we had that original place we bought with my sister. Now I'd since bought my sister out of that probably 10 years prior. Uh, so I owned that one by myself. So to my partner's not massive exuberance, we moved back to Invercargill. She's Christchurch born and bred. I said, look, we'll just stay here for a little bit and we'll get Wanaka built and we'll just live in this house. And I got a job down there and she could relocate down there with her job. So we moved back into there, built that. And we Airbnb'd that out for about almost been a year, 18 months. And it was, it was really good. We had the common things that happened, you know, some damage and what have you and whatever, but the money was really, really good. And it was great with the Airbnb because we're only three hours from Invercargill. We could come up and use it when we wanted to. So, you know, it was heaps of fun as well. So yeah, we did that. That was ticking along. And then I, you know, I've always got the itch. Invercargill was blowing up. It was going great guns. So I went to the bank again. I said, look, where am I at? I want to, I want to go again. And they crunched the numbers. They go, yep, good. You can go again. I said, great. Now, a bit of a spin in the works. My partner was pregnant with our second kid. And I've been around it long enough now to know that, you know, the banks take that into account and it changes your whole dynamic. <laughs> so you got a new partner. <laughs> oh bless her no, no, no. so 
pretty bad. Now, my partner's the soul of the earth, you know, very high integrity, very honest. And I am too, but, you know, I, I don't mind stretching the rules a little bit. <laughs> I'm honest, some... but not as honest as here. <laughs> <laughs> we had to go sign some documents and in the bank. And I'm like, oh, crap, you're showing heaps. I said, so we, this is terrible. I went out and bought her like a big puffer jacket. <laughs> I know it's bad. It's bad. But I was like, oh, because I said to, I said to them at the time, I said, oh, hypothetically, you know, what was to happen if we had more kids? And the, and they were like, nah, ch- completely changes the dynamics. We'd have to re-crunch numbers. And I said, like, okay, yep, sweet. You know, hypothetical, that's good. <laughs> So, um, here's my poor partner walking into the, it's I think it hobbling like, in. <laughs> it was Feb- yeah, and it was February, March. It doesn't normally get hot in Invercargill, but this day was warm. Very <laughs> down, puffer jacket on, and she looked awkward as. And she, I was just like, oh, sorry. She's like, oh, look, just hurry up, let's just do it. So we walk in there, <laughs> signing these documents, and they're like, anything else changing in your life? No, everything's still the same. Yeah, because yeah, they're yeah. sitting there thinking, I know what you're up to, but they can't ask. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah, luckily we bought another one in Invercargill. We moved into that and then we rented out the original one again. And so that we moved into this Invercargill one and yeah, we're there for only about a year. And that year we renovated that one, kitchens, bathrooms, toilets, yeah, everything. And that's still rented today and going really well. It's at about 5.6% yield, great tenants, low maintenance section. Yeah, it's a, it's a good little house. But then you've also purchased one more new build. Yes. So two years ago, it was interesting. I, I thought I knew everything about property. I, not that I did, but I just, in my head, arrogantly think, yep, you just buy heaps of houses, happy days, and you win. That was my mentality. And that's what I was happy to go along with. It wasn't until my buddy, shout out to Tom, he said, hey, I've just been in touch with this OPS guy and he's he's just shown me this wealth plan and, and how I get to this position and how we get to that. I'm like, oh, okay, mate, sounds a bit of a cock a hoop, but. <laughs> he goes, uh, respectfully, sorry. And um, he goes, look, mate, it's free. You just have a chat. He shows you all this cool stuff and he gives you some ideas and he gives you a plan and how to get to where you want to get. And I'm like, yeah, no, that does actually sound pretty good. I like to think I'll work out people really quickly and, and what have you. So I was like, I'll have the meeting. So me and my partner had a Skype meeting with Derry. Your guy, Derry, he's a great guy. And uh, after that, I was like, oh man, this is this is cool. So we bought a place in Sprayden, not far from Barrington Mall. And it's great. It's, yeah, two-bedroom townhouse. It's got great tenants. Uh, we've got great management down there. And it just, yeah, it ticks along greatly. And we don't have to do much or see much. And, yeah, my plan is to never, ever once step foot in it. I'm just going to let it tick away for years and years and, and happy days. It's really funny you've gone through that whole journey like I did where you're so hands-on in property investment. And then, obviously, life's changed for you. You've got kids now. You're living in a different location to where you're investing in some instances, and you just don't have the time to commit to it now. And so now you've transitioned into that passive, which I had a young guy come in last week to see me, and he's 16, wants to start investing. I told him, you need to go out and be an active investor. You need to be flipping houses. That's what you need to do right now. But as time goes on and as people have their own focuses in life that are aside from the actual hands-on property, you need to then transition into that new phase of investing. But for you, Mike, what was it that has created that change in strategy to go from more hands-on to more hands-off? Probably a lot to do with governance at the moment and what's going on. And then, like I said, learning from our mistakes. Jeez, I remember in the early days of the first house, we didn't have a property manager in. And it was easy because the tenant was good. 
she was great. She treated as her own. She was a single mother and the DHB payments were coming straight to me. So it wasn't like a no brainer. Didn't go to her first. So it was just like guaranteed rent. So it was great. My sister was doing the inspections because she lived there and she was good with that. And she'd remind me and I'll be like, oh, look, she's really good. Don't worry about it this month. Anyway, one day I got a phone call. Oh, I'll never forget it. Uh, answer the phone. Oh, g'day, Mike. It's Senior Constable uh, Bob here from the Cardinal <laughs> Police Station. And I said, oh, g'day. Hey, hey, young. What's happening today? And they said, hey, look, just a courtesy call. We're going to raid your house in Invercargill tomorrow. And I said, oh, okay. I said, what's, <laughs> what's, what's the go there? And they said, unfortunately, the young lady who resides there has associated with with some gang members. We've got evidence to suggest that, you know, there's criminal activity happening there. So we'll just sort of give you a heads up. That's what's happening. I'm like, oh, crap. Okay, let me know how it goes. And then I reflected after that thinking, oh, I haven't done inspection for about four months. It was ticking along nicely. She respected the place. You know, the six months before that, she was amazing. You let your guard down a bit. And um, yeah, anyway, long story short, they rang me afterwards and I sent a family member around and they rang me out pretty distraught saying, yeah, it's pretty bad. You know, and then again, it's lessons, it's learning. And from that, and like you said, Andrew, I just, kids, work, everything else I'm trying to do, I just don't have time. And if I knew what I knew today, you know, 16 years ago, man, you just do it in a heartbeat and then just let the people who do that do their thing and, and just be content and happy and growing your portfolio and doing everything else you need to do in life. I think one of the really interesting things that sticks out to, in your story, Mike, is the word opportunity. I mean, you've mentioned it about five times. And I think as life comes along, opportunities will cross your desk or you can make your own opportunities by getting out there and networking and those kind of things. And the thing that separates successful and the unsuccessful are the people that grasp onto those opportunities and run with them. And, and you're obviously one of those people. Oh, thanks. No, I like to, like to think it's glass half full for us. And uh, like I always think what's the worst thing that can happen. And then if, you know, the worst thing is you don't have tenants or if you, if you did tenants damage your house or you lose your job or whatever, I always think you've still got an asset there that you can sell or there's, you know, there's something else you can do to mitigate the effects. So for me, it's always about finding solutions to problems. And then just working on that. And then, like I said before, you get a good opportunity, you might as well take it, run with it. And that best case scenario is going to be one of the best things you've done, which seems to be yeah, happened in my past. And that's the other thing. We often think, okay, what's the worst case scenario? But then that stops people taking action. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves, what's the best thing that can happen? And is it worth taking that risk? And on that, Mike, how's your life changed from investing in property? What's investing in property done for you? Yeah, I was, again, reflecting about this last night and... Um, Man, it's, uh, there's a few things. Resilience is one. I think it builds up your resilience and you can take that into every aspect of your life now, which I think is great. Like I'm a branch manager now, managing quite a lot of people and personalities and I've kind of incorporated what I've learned there into that. And then just in your everyday relationships as well with your friends and family and everything else. Along with kids, it's definitely given me patience. It's um, definitely gotten a lot better. Short wicker there in my early days, but you know. And then like I said, problem solving as well. Like, you know, nothing can be that bad that it can't be fixed if you just take a step back and just actually assess and, and, and work it out. I always remember a famous saying, you know, stress is a wasted emotion. And then I've tried to embrace that probably the last five or six years where it's like, well, there's no point stressing about something because it's not going to fix the problem. And I tell that to my six-year-old now. Yeah, she gets real stressed and upset. I'm like, well, what's, what's that going to do? How's that going to fix the problem? So I'm very business-minded, so I kind of like, I just love that aspect of negotiation, of, of dealing with this kind of stuff. And I just love the nuts and bolts and the bricks and mortar of property investment and what they can do for the future and what it can do for yourself. I can see myself doing this right up until I'm on my deathbed and, and I'm clocking out. So um, it's something that gets me excited every day. 
Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. And Tay, I want to hear your stories on Case Study Sunday. You know, the great thing about Mike is he's living down in Wanaka, listens to the show, and then wanted to come on, share his story, and inspire some other people. And look, we've had a lot of people from the South Island recently. You North Islanders, I want you guys on the show too. So if you're in Auckland or Tomaranui or Gisborne or Wellington, hit me up, editopuspartners.co.nz. I want to hear your stories on the show as well. listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Tim McKnight. I'm Andrew Nichol. We're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time. <laughs>